Let's pray. Lord, without you, we are the harassed and the helpless. We are sheep without a shepherd. Some of us this morning recognize that more than others, and yet we are all here today, Lord, gathered to hear from you. We pray as we look at your word, Father, that you would make to us your son, our shepherd, that our light and our light would shine in his glory and for his name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the reasons that I really like reading the Old Testament, one of the reasons I really like that we've been preaching from the Old Testament for the uh, season of Epiphany, as we focused on uh, the book of Isaiah, is that we actually get to read uh, the very same scripture that Jesus himself got to read as he was coming up, as he was preparing for his ministry, as he was being prepared for his ministry. And, and some of that scripture that he read, that he was steeped in, it had a profound effect on his understanding of himself. And that we actually see from our reading today in Isaiah 49. This is an immensely important um, passage of scripture, one that has implications for who Jesus understands himself to be. And, and uh, in that regard, who we are as we are the extensions of Jesus as we are his hands and feet alive in the world today. And so because of that, readings like this from Isaiah 49, they have a direct influence on our lives today, right? It's not just good for the historical record. It's not just um, helpful uh, context, background knowledge that then we move on from. They actually has, it has direct implications on how we spend our lives and how we spend our days. For instance, if you were uh, struggling with faith in Jesus Christ, or, or, or maybe it's not so much a struggle anymore, right? Maybe you've sort of given up and maybe you're going through the motions and you're, you're here because that's what you're supposed to do, but, but that's about it. If you find yourself in that place, well, this passage and ones uh, like this show us that you are not an afterthought to God by any means, that you are, are not in any way an afterthought. In fact, you are, you are the very heart of God's mission from the beginning. He has more in store for you. He has a certainty and a, a security, a peace for you that he wants you to know and he wants you to have. And he's wanted it from the very beginning. The God of Scripture is a God who is on a rescue mission, and that mission is for you. That's what all of these pages of, of Scripture, that's what they tell us, that God is on a mission, and his mission is that you might know him intimately and personally, that you might be brought into the fold of his family. And the Scripture teaches us the links that he's willing to go so that you might be restored to him as he is in pursuit of you. And so the question, if you find yourself in this, this camp, somebody who's, who's struggling to understand, struggling uh, to put their faith in Jesus Christ, the question is this, is that the kind of God that you want? Because that's who he is. And, and there are other gods out there, lesser gods in my personal opinion, uh, but there are other gods out there. And they are, there's more opportunities uh, than we care to admit for you to, to follow along with them. But the question that's before us and that scripture like this puts before us is, is this the kind of God that you want? Is this the kind of family that you want to be a part of? Because the invitation is there. Let's take another example. Let's say you're 
You're, you're in the church. You're part of the church. Your faith is, is in Jesus. Passages like this, they show us what we, that what we do in our time, as we live and move and have our being, right? They have incredible relevance and incredible purpose. Right? We aren't just, just called to, to bide our time, to hope that we've uh, learned enough or earned enough that when our time comes, we get to pass through the, the pearly gates. There's, there's more in store even for us. The work of the church is the continual work of God's rescue mission. That's what we see from passages like this in Isaiah. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Isaiah 49. And my hope is that whichever camp you find yourself in, uh, by the end of our time today, uh, you will see that what you are a part of is something far, far greater than yourself. And the invitation that's before you is to be a part of something far greater than yourself and that you are critically important. Uh, a critically important piece. So open up if you want to follow along Isaiah chapter 49. We're going to begin with the very first verse. To understand uh, what's going on in Isaiah, it's helpful to understand the, the context of, of exile. Now the people of Israel, they're corporately known as God's servant. And, and sometimes in various places in, in scripture, uh, that's used in a singular sense, servant. But it's meant to be understood as the corporate body of Israel, the nation of Israel. They, they are God's servants. They are the people God has chosen, that he has formed, that he has equipped, that he has sent. Genesis 12, uh, in a conversation that God has with Abraham, Abraham is the, the father of the nation of Israel, forefather of the nation of Israel. God says this to Abraham. He says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, from the very beginning, this is the mission of Israel, the servant of God, that they would be a vehicle through which all of the earth shall be blessed. They corporately are the, the chosen servant to achieve this mission, but Abraham didn't always make it easy on God. Right? And neither did the nation that he fathered. And so by the time we get to Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 49 in our reading today, Israel has been kicked out of the land that they were given because of their unwillingness to stay on mission, to remain faithful to God so that others could be blessed through them. And in fact, they're in their second generation of captivity in Babylon. That means that those who are coming of age, they know nothing about what it means to be in close proximity with God, to be an inhabitant of the promised land of God. All they know is exile. All they know is distance from him, geographically and spiritually. They only know life as exiles. And so Israel, the servant of God, at this particular point in history, is incapable of fulfilling its mission. Christopher Wright, we've, we've read his books before, great theologian, uh, uh, he, he says it very well. He says, Israel, the servant of God, in spite of all the blessings and privileges that it had experienced from God, was at the mo this moment of history paralyzed and useless as far as the fulfillment of its mission was concerned. They were far from God spiritually as well as geographically. They need to be brought back to God, not just back to Jerusalem. But how is God going to do this? Enter the servant of Isaiah 49, verse 1. 
Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Now, the speaker hasn't been established yet, but notice whom he is addressing. It's not God's people of Israel, but it's those whom the, who were the object of Israel's mission, right? It's the peoples from distant lands stretching all the way to the, to the coastlands. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. So tuck that away as we continue with verse 1. The Lord called me from the womb, the speaker says. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Now skip to verse 3. The Lord said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And so at this point, it it appears there's some continuity, right, between the, the speaker of this passage and God's servant, the nation of Israel. Maybe even at this point they could be one and the same. Right? They've, they've both been specifically chosen by God. God identifies them both as, as Israel. They have the same mission. Right? God says, in you I will be glorified. And then remember, as we just mentioned, the speaker is addressing those who are the object of Israel's mission. So there's very, very clear continuity here. So much that at this point they could actually be one in the same. But look at verse 5. The speaker remains the same. He identifies himself as God's servant. The Lord formed me from the womb to be his servant. But then what does he say is his mission in this very next phrase in verse 5? He says his mission is to bring Jacob, one of the forefathers of Israel, back to him, back to God. That Israel might be gathered to the Lord. And so we see this, this servant can't be the nation of Israel because he has a mission to Israel. This is a, a different servant. This is servant with a capital S, the servant. This is the servant who we just read is sent to this, the servant, the nation of Israel. Now there's one more hill that we need to crest uh, before we can sort of see the beautiful vista of, of what God is, is doing here. Look at verse 4. Go back to verse 4. You see, this capital S servant, the servant to the servant Israel, in whom God will be glorified, well, he confesses in verse 4 a sense of failure in his own mission. I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, he says. And yet, despite his apparent failure, he accepts that his suffering will be rewarded. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with God. And what is his reward for remaining faithful to God despite his apparent failure? Well, look at verse 6. It's very curious. The Lord expands his mission. Feeling as if he's failed, the Lord says, not at all. In fact, I have more in store for you. The Lord says to this capital S servant, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. That's not enough, in fact. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Here, here's what we see happening in this passage. It's, it's pretty profound. We see that this servant, capital S, is distinct and yet still part of Israel, sort of like the way the, the solar core of the sun. is. It's distinct and yet, and yet is part of the whole. 
like a, a kernel in the shell. He is this, this one servant, the heart of Israel. All that Israel is in its truest sense, in its purest sense, if it's boiled down and concentrated into one person, it's this man, the servant. And it is he who remains faithful, even in his suffering, even in his apparent failure, who will restore Israel and fulfill Israel's mission. All right, we're going to make the jump to Jesus. Hopefully, y'all saw that one coming, (laughs) right? Because that's who Jesus, when he read these scriptures, that's who Jesus identified with. That's who he saw himself to be. His ministry on earth was aimed at restoring Israel. We see that in our passage, um, in our gospel passage from Matthew. He went and traveled, and he went first to the synagogues. And he suffered greatly. He died at the hands of his own people. He cried out with his final breath, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words that echo a sense of failure. And yet the movement that he started wasn't contained just to Israel. Right? He gives the great commission to his disciples after his res- resurrection. Go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded. All nations. Again, right? says it well. He says, Jesus was the hinge. He was the fulfillment of the hope of Israel and the beginning of the hope of the nations. And that was precisely the role of the servant of God. But how is this more than just history? How is this more than just important information maybe that allows us to move forward? Where do you and I come in in all of this? I want to end with two stories. The first is is a personal one. When I uh, was a younger man, married at this point, uh, but a younger man than stands before you today, I, I had this longing, this sense, this desire that I wanted to hear the voice of God. I needed to hear the voice of God to know, right, in a secured, a definitive sense that he was active in my life, that he was active in the world. And so this was my prayer for, for years and for years. And I remember this moment uh, praying this prayer and, and uh, still not hearing anything, but I was driving down the road. Uh, and I got this inclination to give a friend a call out of the blue. And I called this friend, uh, and what I remember from the conversation is that it was the exact conversation that that friend needed to have at that moment. And I remember hanging up the phone and saying, there you are. I've been looking for the wrong thing. I've been looking the wrong way. I'll come back to that in just a second. There's another story that I want to share with you It's the story of one of Paul's missionary journeys that's recounted in the book of Acts. You see, Paul and Barnabas have traveled uh, to far and distant lands. They're in the present-day Turkey. It's an 18-hour car trip from Jerusalem to where they end up in Turkey, if you were to make that route by land today. They didn't go by land. They went by sea, and it took them much longer than that to get there. And So they're on the, uh, the, the edges getting close to Rome, and they find themselves actually in a Roman colony, but one that had a a large Jewish uh, population. And so they go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and after the reading from the law and the prophets, as is customary, uh, they are noticed as uh, visitors, and they're invited to get up and to speak. And so Paul gets up, and and he begins to explain uh, what he knows to be true, how, how this man, Jesus came from the line of King David, that, that he was killed but rose again after three days, and that through him, Jesus, the sins of those to whom Paul is addressing right now in the congregation, 
their sins had already been forgiven. If they were to put their faith in this man, Jesus. Well, it appears that Paul's a pretty good preacher. And he had a very compelling message. Because as the story goes, Luke recounts uh, that the people swarmed afterwards. And they said, you have to come back. You have to come back next Sabbath. Tell us more about who this man is. Tell us more about what you know him to be. And so a week's time passes and word gets out. And and Luke records that uh, it, it caused such a great stir that that by the time the next Sabbath rolls around, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And as you can imagine, this stoked a little bit of insecurity in the leaders of the synagogue. A little bit of jealousy began to, to bubble up inside. And they began to discredit Paul, and they began to speak out against Barnabas. And so this is what Paul and Barnabas respond with as Luke records in Acts. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. Does that sound familiar? Isaiah 49, he quotes it directly. Verse 6, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul quotes directly from this passage where God expands the servant's mission, even in the sense of his own failure. Paul says, my life comes through this man, and so this man's mission is my life's mission as well. The mission of this servant, the mission of Jesus Christ, Paul says, that's for me. And that's what I've been sent to do. So there are two things that that I want us to hear today as we wind down. The first is if you are in that camp, struggling with with faith, struggling with understanding and and comprehending and and giving your, your life to Christ, I want you to know you are not an afterthought. From the very beginning, God's desire was that you might be blessed by him, that no matter where you come from, No matter your age or your stage, no matter if you're as young as my Charlotte or as old, I won't go there. (laughs) But God is going to fight on your behalf. He's going to fight through the failures of his own people to come to you himself. He fights through that that part of you that says, ignore all this fluff, go set your own destiny. You're the, the king or queen of your own castle. Ignore anything else. Right? That, that part of you, Jesus says, I've set you free from that. Through this man, as Paul says, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is free from everything by which you cannot be freed by any other means. And despite all of our own efforts, right? That's important for you to hear today. The second is for the church, for the body of Christ. That inclination in your heart to, to speak comfort to a stranger, to pick up the phone out of nowhere and make a phone call out of the blue. The desire to to correct an injustice that has occurred at someone else's expense. The satisfaction that that comes from providing a practical service to someone in need. The harassed and the helpless, as Matthew says. Even that little lump that, that seems to come up in your throat when, when God points out that opportunity to speak of your own faith to somebody else in a way that's personal and real and scary, 
right? Even that is an opportunity that God has given you to participate in and on mission with him. The same mission that he has been on from the beginning of time as our rescuer, as our redeemer. These are invitations that God is giving us to participate with Jesus and with Paul and with all the disciples, with the whole church in making disciples of all nations. And let it be known, it's not some kind of optional extra, right? The super holy, super Christian professionals get to do that. Now, it's the very heartbeat of who God is from the beginning. He is on mission for others to rescue and to restore. And that's what he calls us into as well. That is the purpose in which he's given us, not just to bide our time, but to actively pursue, to love to care for with the same sort of compassion that we ourselves have received from God. And to participate with him in this is to live the gospel that we believe, and it actually brings that gospel to life in new ways that we can't imagine unless we're willing to go there with him. My prayer is that we would be a church that is not afraid. Amen.